listening to the CIPD podcast series. The nature of organisations across the globe is changing as they become less insular and form new relationships. They operate in a changing environment and they need to be more networked and more agile. As part of this, strategic business partnerships are on the rise and HR's role in them is critical. So critical, in fact, we're going to be looking at this issue across two podcasts, this one and February's. In February's edition, we'll be getting the inside track on how business partnerships work at Rolls-Royce and at Shell, and we'll explore HR's role in the success of those partnerships. Today, we're going to look at different partnership models and the key issues to think about before you enter into one. For this, I talked to Paul Sparrow. He's director of the Centre for Performance-Led HR and Professor of International Human Resource Management at Lancaster University Management School. Business partnerships come in a wide range of guises, from outsourcing, joint ventures, multi-agency responses, through to social partnerships, among many others. But why are we seeing so many more of them? Uh, You actually have very, very complex business arrangements where um, uh, suppliers might actually have financial stake in the uh, contracts that are being sold. And you have to have these sorts of complex arrangements because no one organisation can have all of the technologies. You have to rely on and work with organisations that have got complementary capabilities. This has been true in private sector contests for some time now, but they're on the rise in the public sector too, particularly across healthcare and social services. The public might look at that and actually assume that you would have a single coherent delivery of service. Does it really matter if some of it's being done by an NHS trust or some of it's being done by social services? So the other thing that's happened is that, is that consumers have become more sophisticated and that they, they actually therefore need and expect higher capabilities in the services that are offered and they expect those, cap- those services to be, to be uh, joined up. The fact is that although the number of corporate alliances increases by some 25% a year, the failure rate sits somewhere around the 60 to 70% mark. It's a serious mismatch where huge investment leads, in many cases, to great losses. So we know that with some of the more traditional arrangements, certainly joint ventures, that these actually are, are very difficult to, to always make work. I think there are some sectors where they, they, they have operated around this energy with a classic example. There's such long-term commitments, they, they have to they work. They have to work, yeah. But there are many other sectors where that's not the case. And uh, so we know from, 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 um, from previous research that there are uh, high failure rates in those arrangements. We're now looking at very, very complex arrangements and in much more politically difficult situations. Public sector context is a, is, a, is a case in point. The challenge of integration is just even more complex. And, uh, and the, behind a lot of these initiatives, there, is, for ex- you know, there, is, there are expectations, for example, about productivity gains and so on. So again, although it's different to the private sector, um, you're, in a, you're in an environment where if you don't get this right, you will not be able to deliver very stringent productivity requirements that actually face public sector delivery. So we have to know, we have to learn how to get this right, and we haven't got the time. I think, to experiment too much. In Paul's research, he identified three key partnership models. So it's competitive, where yes. you're you know, essentially coming to terms with someone who previously was effectively was an enemy, a competitor. Absolutely. Complementary. Yes. Which would be... That would be something where essentially the two partners 
have got capabilities which, if they are brought together, creates a, an additional capability. So neither partner would be able to actually um, move into this business, move into this business model, without actually working with someone who uh, has got some other capabilities that can be joined with theirs to create an additional okay. capability. And the third one, cooperative. Cooperative. And that's really where, essentially, there may be gains to the collaboration with, with you actually working in a more sort of partnered arrangement, but it's, in some senses, a bit more voluntary. So the police forces might, would be a good example of that. You know, historically, there were attempts um, you know, to, to think about merging different police forces, and that proved to be very difficult. But the residual requirement was then one of saying, however, we can still see that if we work together on a voluntary basis and we think about alliances across police forces or across services that might sit behind it, forensic or armed service response or whatever, we can cooperate. But by cooperating, both of us will actually either deliver better um, service or we will be able to improve productivity and make cost savings to apply to new services that we know we have to deliver. Would it be fair to say that one of the fundamental dangers is that HRs quite understandably would tend to think about or think in terms of each organisation rather than um, the needs and objectives of the partnership as a whole. It's, yes. it's a very hard thing to yes. do, isn't it, to have it this is. overarching it is, but strategy? To be, it is. But to be fair to HR, uh, it's not only the HR function that Indeed. actually has that kind of parochial view of it. So do most of the managerial team. And again, that is, this is one of the differences because... Um, you know, with many previous arrangements, you could work in a joint venture and you, had your, you have your own needs and, and, and requirements and so on. Um, the challenge now is that uh, increasingly, for this collaboration to work, someone or functions somewhere in the organisation have to manage on behalf of the whole network. And if you think of, you know, you or I as an end customer of these, we would expect that. We yes. assume this takes place. But of course it might not. So you might have a collaboration which actually requires or creates new capabilities. That's the whole point of having the collaboration. And you might bring to this collaboration your own particular skills and expertise and whatever. But there is a need for you to also think about and someone to take responsibility for the whole network. Has the whole network got the capability to actually really understand this, to really deliver this? How much of your world must your partners understand and what skills must they have to be able to do what they must do inside their company to work with you and so on. Now this requires a very different way of thinking. One of the common points of tension in business partnerships occurs when one organisation clearly benefits more than the other. Some organisations are better at doing this. They have just learned how to do it. They set up the structures so they learn how to operate the collaboration. But also, in many of these collaborations, there are, there are really quite asymmetric levels of power. One, one partner can actually have very significant uh, role and importance, and yet it has to, they are having to learn, even though we've got high levels of power in this relationship, we have to actually share and give. Yes, now that's interesting, that's isn't it? Because before we've been talking really on the assumption that it's equal partners joining together, yes. but it often won't be that. No, it may not be, absolutely. Um, you know, because in fact, either because there may be a, a dominant home service, so for example, you know, the NHS and uh, 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 trusts and so on, you know, these are huge entities. And they, may be, they might be in some of their service delivery collaborating with voluntary service organisations and many of the collaborators. Yes, by absolutely. comparison, absolutely. and yet, absolutely. Key. Ab yeah. And yet, key. 
Paul's research identifies three overarching themes that affect the outcome of these partnering arrangements. The first is managing risk and capability. These are risks to do with culture and control systems, risks associated with the environment you're working in, and also risks that could stem from one or other of the allied organisations. Most importantly, I've often not thought about, there are risks about the interface. Now, you think of most of the scandals that we've had, for example, in public sector, whatever, invariably it comes down to the people who sit between various parts of the organisation. And it's really to do with the fact that, well, actually, you know, the people at that work phase didn't understand or didn't have insight or didn't share certain information and so on. So they're often also um, what are basically called interface risks. Now, H, so it, what this is saying to HR, of course, is that there is, there is actually an important organisation design an organisation effectiveness agenda here, because we can diagnose this. You can look at your collaboration and you can look at the areas where you do, where the organisations join together. You can look at the skill groups that certainly become much more important to your organisation. You can look at the job design of those skill groups and so on. So you can mitigate these risks or you can actually put in strategies to make sure that the risks have really been minimised. The second factor is governance. The model that you choose, be it competitive complementary or cooperative sets the tone for everything that comes later. All of the HR issues flow from this, this starting point. It, it will condition how easy or not it is to actually make the collaborations work. So the contract that's written in advance of the partnership is vitally important. The way in which you design and write a contract will shape the behaviour of your partner. And everyone always knows that you really judge the quality of these collaborations when when the accident happens or when the crisis hits, yes. that's when you suddenly realise. And what you don't want is everyone going back and looking at the contract and saying, well, it's your responsibility, it's not mine, and so on. And uh, uh, so we have learned uh, how you need to uh, construct and almost express contract, contractual arrangements to shape the behaviour of your partners so that they, they behave in a way which is mutually beneficial. Finally, there's the learning and knowledge sharing beyond the immediate organisation, which can make the difference between success and failure, and that is all about building capability. First of all, HR can help the organisation build its own internal capability to work well in these environments. Many of these collaborations require very important injections of knowledge to the managerial teams. What's becoming increasingly evident, people now talk about supply chain HR, if, in fact, I have now become much more closely wedded with my supply chain, it's in my interest, in many instances, to build the capability of my suppliers. And I need to ensure either that they are, they are doing this, or I, can need, I need to facilitate this, or maybe we put our own injections of skill into that process. So what is also now becoming evident is that organisations are realising it is in our mutual interest for us to ensure that we have got key capabilities across the whole network. Paul will be joining us again in February's podcast when we'll look more closely at how HR can best manage these partnerships and HRs from Rolls-Royce and Shell will be sharing their experiences. In the meantime, Christmas is nearly here and in the first podcast of the new year, we'll be showcasing big new ideas from a selection of business visionaries for HRs to get their teeth into in 2015. The series kicks off on January 6th. Don't miss it.